You're listening to local programming produced in KUNV Studios. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. Welcome to NBA School and the Basketball IQ Podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Lawrence. I'm here to give an educated breakdown on all things NBA. We are here for episode 13 of the Basketball IQ Podcast. Welcome to March, everybody. The shortest month of the year, February. Even though it was a leap year, doesn't matter. 29 days, it is over. We are here. It is March 1st, college basketball's best month, even though I don't really watch that much college basketball until this month. So that's why I call it college basketball's best month. Uh, The NBA is starting to ramp up post-All-Star break. Playoff seeding starts to become more and more important. The Western Conference, it seems like the top four teams are a game uh, separated. The Eastern Conference is really top heavy, but you know, it's just talking about the West. The West is loaded. Uh the po- the post All-Star break stretch has been interesting because most of the time, like if you haven't noticed, there's been a lot of blowouts. Um which is kind of normal because some guys, you know, they might have went to Cabo, or they went to the Bahamas or whatever desolate island they went to. I wouldn't call it desolate. The bomb sounds pretty cool, but um, you, you see there's normally a bit of a drop-off, and then around this time, around uh, beginning of March, is when the games start to get peak level, peak levels of entertainment. And speaking of peak levels of entertainment, last night, the Lakers-Wizards game is just too much. That's too much. I, I didn't... <laughs> No, bro. Luckily, I got out of work um, early enough to catch the last half of the third and most of the fourth, you know, the whole fourth quarter in overtime. And I know it's a back to back, but y- y'all, y'all, y'all boys are killing me, bro. We we beat the Clippers on Wednesday, and then we follow that up with almost losing to the Wizards. Like I, this team is bipolar. I don't know. Um, but today isn't about the Lakers. Well, it is passively. It involves one of their players. It involves a guy that I've been following ever since I was six years old. Um, today I wanted to do a, a little, a little story time, a little story time with Charlie, um, of how I became a LeBron fan. Now, most people, when you hear that they're a LeBron fan, they immediately roll their eyes because the first thought of someone being a LeBron fan is you, you know, the verbiage, I'm not going to say it on this show because the show is, is, is PG, but you know, the verbiage and I've jokingly admitted that I fall under that verbiage, but there's a deeper story behind it. So as I've told you before, I grew up in the Seattle area, uh, specifically um, 
if anyone's familiar with Western Washington, the Bremerton Silverdale area kind of bounced around from both. Um, but I lived in Bremerton for most of my childhood. Um, and if you know anything about Seattle sports history, you know that our team was taken from us in 2007. You know, unfairly from an owner from Oklahoma who asked for the way I perceive the story an obscene amount of tax money from the citizens of King County, um, knowing that they were going to say no, knowing that the Sonics at that time were not good. We were coming off of a decent stretch with Ray Allen where we made one playoff run. I think it was in 2006, if I believe. But ever since the Gary Payton, Sean Kemp days, there wasn't much to root for in the 2000s in Sonics basketball. And so from my perspective, he if you look at any article of any story, it'll they'll never tell you this. But in my mind, he knew that King County wasn't going to pay up. He knew that. And I'm not going to say the man's name because it's forbidden where I'm from to say his name. Um he was he asked for an obscene amount of money to build a new stadium. If you don't know, Key Arena has been well now it's called Climate Pledge Arena, but I still call it Key Arena. Uh that place has been home of the Seattle Supersonics, the Seattle Storm, the WNBA team, and many other concerts, events since the late sixties. It has been the home of Seattle basketball. A lot of uh Drew League games. There's normally the Clippers normally come up for the preseason. It is a staple of the culture or in my hometown is Kirina. And now luckily the Kraken are there to give it more life um, with its new renovation. So because of this lack of basketball in my early childhood or lack of exposure because of um, a lack of a team, my dad would take me to games, take me to baseball games. So baseball became really my first love. It was the sport that I would read magazines about. It was the sport that I would obsessively know every batting average of every Seattle Mariner. Like I'm talking about for you, Knuckle, Justin Ackley, Justin, Dustin Ackley, uh, Justin Smoke, um, the guy Gutierrez who my mom had a crush on. Um, anybody. I knew all of their stats. And so baseball was, you know, the sport that I first fell in love with. I played, I started playing at a very young age. And basketball didn't really become a major part of my life until probably 20, it depends on what you would categorize as major, but I would say around 2012, 13 range is when I really started to dive into it. Um, but before that... I started casually watching the game in 2009, which, if you guys don't remember, was LeBron's first MVP. And I remember, if I'm not mistaken, in 2009, I was living in Belfair, and I was watching, I would watch games on this TV in our living room. It was a weird house. It was like three stories in the first story. It was, it was a weird house, so I'm having trouble kind of remembering what it was but 
I would always watch sports in the living room TV. And since I was born in 2003, I never got to see Michael Jordan. I never, I mean, prime, depending on what you think prime Kobe is, I didn't get to see him unless you think prime Kobe is 2009, 10, 11, which so I did see him. So as a kid in 2009, you know, my favorite baseball player was Felix Hernandez, pitcher for the Mariners. He was my favorite. I, when I pitched in baseball, I modeled, um, my delivery after him. But in terms of basketball, you really had four options in 2009 because the league was fairly talented back then, but it wasn't where it is now. So the four options when you're a kid during this time is Kobe Bryant, LeBron, Chris Paul, or Dwight Howard. Those are your options. I decided to pick two. (laughs) I decided to pick LeBron and CP as my guys. And they were my guys throughout the 2010s. And admittedly, in the 2009-10 season, which was the first year I started actually watching games um, with my dad, I wasn't fully enamored and fascinated with LeBron's game until probably 2012. And when I say enamored, what I really mean is the way that he can drive to the basket, his strength, power, speed. It just, as a child, when you watch that on TV, and mind you, I got to, I was a kid when I saw peak athleticism LeBron. And when you see that as a child, you're like, damn, like nobody else moves like this guy. No other basketball player can take a ball from baseline to baseline and go in four seconds and get either a layup or dish it out for somebody else to score. And that component there, the dish out. Number one, I don't think he gets enough credit for kind of making that play popular, the driving kick. Now you see every team in the league does driving kicks. Who do you think started that? They weren't doing driving kicks in the 90s. When they did driving kicks, it was driving kick to the center or driving kick to, since you know I'm from Seattle, Sam Perkins from 15 feet. That was a driving kick. But LeBron was an innovator in that sense where he was the first, not only the first point forward, but the first guy to utilize his size and strength and say, because I'm such a dominant force, I'm going to drive the basketball, draw two, and kick out for a three. Now, the concept of drawing two, little basketball nerd here, the concept, the, the whole point of of playing basketball at the end of the day is drawing two to the ball. That's the the main goal. That's why back in the day, centers were so important. Because if you had Akeem Olajuwon on the block, he could draw two in any given possession. And that meant open shots for Kenny Smith. That meant open shots for Vernon Maxwell, Robert Ory, et cetera. But what changes is how you draw two. See, that, that, that has been the standard since the 40s. George Mikan, draw two. But the way in which you do it is what the evolution of basketball is. 
And so when you saw LeBron at six foot nine, 250 pounds, drive to the basket, you could only, you can only help but send two or three people because he's going to get an easy layup if you don't do it, which allows for corner threes, which is the best shot in basketball. So that's why I was so just wowed by his game. And I also thought it was really fucking cool that he could get 27 points, nine assists and eight rebounds. And it felt like he had a bad game. There were numerous times when I would watch LeBron play. And it'd be like, damn, he hasn't really done much. And then you check the box score. It was like, oh, he had 35. Oh. People talk about that for Kevin Durant, but LeBron's kind of similar, especially in his prime in Miami. He was very similar to that. You know, even though he may not look like Kevin Durant, it might not be as smooth, but you're still getting 30 put on you. And like I said earlier, the first year I really started uh, diving into basketball was the 2012-13 season, which perfectly coincides with the year after LeBron won his first championship against OKC, which I vividly remember my dad and I being very happy about because our the entire area just hated the Thunder for good reason. And that was the year 2013 where LeBron was at his peak physically. And the Heat won 66 games. Now, obviously, as a small child, I didn't have League Pass, so the only time I would watch NBA games would be on ESPN or ABC or TNT. So getting to watch the Heat, and also, you know, in the springtime, I was playing baseball. So being able to watch the Heat was like a treat. I got that rhyme there. Um, it was like a it was like an early Christmas gift. It was like now I get to watch LeBron D Wade and Bosch today. You know, this is a good day. And you know, you go through the season and Miami beats Indiana, which a lot of people don't give Indiana a lot of credit for how hard they used to play the Heat. Um But I tell my friends all the time, I'm like, the twenty thirteen title is my favorite. And the reason it's my favorite, one is because it was the first time I'd ever witnessed someone that I was rooting for win a title. So that had something to do with it. The second part of it was, it was my first time really watching a full season and fully digesting. I mean, I'm nine years old, so I'm not breaking down tape and stuff like that, but you get the point. You guys know if you're sports fans, you can remember Maybe not the Pacific, Pacific, the specific year, but you can remember a moment in time when you're like, I, I'm officially a fan of the sport. And it was that year. So that had something to do with it. Experiencing the 27 game win streak had a lot to do with it. Because that was a lot of fun going to school and, you know, my friends would be like, we kicked your ass, kicked your ass, kicked your ass. <laughs> um, and... Looking back at that point in my life, and you, you kind of get nostalgic because you think to yourself, like, damn, I was I was living when it came to my favorite sports, which now are basketball and football. 
because I went from my favorite player winning a title in 2013 to the Seahawks beating the dog out of the Broncos, which only my family knows the story, but I fell asleep in the third quarter. I was like 10 years old. <laughs> I, had, I was on my grandfather's leather couch and I was just asleep in the third quarter after Percy Harvin returned that touchdown. Um, and then the Cavs winning again in 2016. So there was like, there's a four year stretch where my favorite teams and players were winning a lot. So it was a lot of fun. And I get nostalgic about that era a lot. Um, but back to the 2013 finals. What also makes it my favorite is that the Spurs were seen as this unbeatable juggernaut in the finals. You know, they had never lost in the championship series to that point. They had beat the Knicks in 99, the Nets in 03, the Pistons in 05, and the Cavs in 07. And that was their first trip back to the finals, I believe, since 07. But San Antonio, you know, for people that might be younger than me, they had this like... I don't know how to describe it. They had this like pristine reputation for never, you know, choking in big games. They just never did. They always were sound and perfect and beating them in a big game was basically like the equivalent of winning 10 in a row in the regular season. Because you know that Greg Popovich and Tim Duncan and God Tony Parker were going to find a way to win the game every single time. Don't let it be a four-point game in the fourth quarter with three minutes left because the Spurs are going to win the game. Don't don't let it get close. So when San Antonio got up 3-2 and they got up by five with 28 seconds left, my nine-year-old self was like, well, damn, LeBron just lost again. You know, I have to... Luckily, the finals, that game was right after school was out, I believe. So I didn't have to like go to school and you know get bullied <laughs> not bullied but you know what i mean um which mattered to me back then a lot um but just that whole sequence the last 28 seconds you know Kawhi missing the free throws lebron hitting you know, i believe he hit a two he hit a layup with about 20 seconds left to cut it to three and that Ray Allen shot. Pack the basket. James catches, puts up the three. Won't go. Rebound box. Back out to Allen. His three-pointer. Bang! Tie game with five seconds remaining. Spurs do not have a timeout. Just solidified everything that that team was about. Because people see that it's LeBron, Wade, and Bosch, and it's the big three, and it's just a bunch of role players after that. But that 2013 team was deep as hell. We had Shane Battier. We had Ray Allen. We had Birdman. <laughs> who Birdman might be a, a drop-off from that, but it's still Birdman. We have Mike Miller. Like That Heat team was loaded with talent. And the fact that the Heat's sixth best player was the one that tied the game and sent it to overtime and then he'd go on to win was just it was textbook 
it was beautiful that one of the non-Big Three members is credited with winning the 2013 title. But if we fast forward a few years, I know I just probably spent eight minutes on 2013, but it's, I just wanted to emphasize that it was my favorite. Um, fast forward a couple of years, he loses to the Spurs. He loses to the Warriors who kind of came out of nowhere at this point. Um, the 2016 title. Now that one, that one was special to me in a different way. Because 2015-16 season was the first year I became an NBA junkie. It was the first, this might sound juvenile, but this was the first 2K that I played the living hell out of. Uh, (laughs) I didn't have a PS4 yet. I had a PS3. Um, And I played the 2K16 PS3 version for probably about 700 hours. Like that was the first year I was obsessed with basketball. And before that, I would just watch the games and just absorb everything. But that year was the first year where I said, I'm going to know everything about history. I'm going to just absorb all this knowledge. And this is going to be my favorite sport. 2016 was also the first year I got basketball shoes. I begged my, I think it was my grandfather to get them for my birthday. It were these Jordan sevens. Um, now, now, it's funny because, you know, I'm a LeBron fan, so yeah, why are you getting Jordans? But I'm actually never going to wear Jordans again because that logo is synonymous with a really bad memory of mine. Um, I tore a ligament in my ankle. This is kind of a sidetrack, but I tore a ligament in my ankle in those shoes. And a lot of it had to do with the fact of how tight the um, the ankle supports were. And so any sudden movement, you're cooked. And there's this kid named King uh, King Cade at Richtop Middle School in seventh grade that fell on my ankle when it was already sprained. So I'll never forgive you, by the way. <laughs> Ever. That's why. Um, it's okay, though, because he was a Falcons fan and they blew 28 to 3 the next year. So he, he got his karma. Um, <laughs> but speaking of friends, although King Cade wasn't a friend. Speaking of people I went to school with, that whole 15, 16 year, a lot of people at my school were big Warrior fans because, you know, the the Sonics obviously didn't exist and Portland wasn't that good. I think that year they went like 41 and 41. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge had just left. So the, the Portland wasn't that good. It was just the Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum show because that year CJ went most improved. So they weren't they weren't that good. So most of my friends were Warrior fans. And the finals were happening during uh, kind of the end of year in elementary school. It was when I was in sixth grade when that happened. And if you, you know, if you remember elementary school, the June kind of late part of the year is always the best time of year. That's when um, you get extended recesses. You're not doing anything in class. You might take like one test at the end of May, but whatever um so it was good times man you just mean a, a 12 year old kid watching the nba finals in your living room and when golden state it was a similar feeling not to the spurs 
necessarily, but it was a similar feeling when the Warriors got up 3-1. And it was like, damn, he's going to lose again. At that point, his finals record would be 2-5 and five if he had lost. And my debates I would have with my friends at school over with LeBron over MJ. And again, debates at school were like the most important thing in my life at that point. Um, it's just simple times, right? Um, that was going to be tainted. I wasn't going to be able to make the argument because he would have got beat by Golden State back to back years. But when they found a way to pull that off. I vividly remember um, where I was when the block happened. The offense is running through me right now. Irving drives, hop step inside, close it up, misses. Rebound taken by Iguodala. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. In game seven, I was sitting in my living room. Um... It was a winter's roadhouse. This is when I was living in Bremerton. And my, I think my mom and my sister had went to sleep, and I was watching Game 7. And when the block happened, I just froze. And it was my first ever out-of-body experience watching a basketball game. And I take that statement very seriously. Like That was like, holy shit. I didn't understand the, the, cause at the time you don't know, I didn't know that the Cavs were going to win. Obviously I'm not a time traveler, I'm not Dr. Who. So at the time I'm like, oh my God, but I don't realize the cultural and the, the overall magnitude of that play in the moment. It's impossible to realize it. And when Kyrie hit the shot with about 58 seconds left. I remember being really excited, but still locked in on the TV. Like, I can't lose focus because we could still lose. And when LeBron hit the free throw, and even the LeBron free throws scared the shit out of me. I'm not <laughs> When he hurt his wrist, I don't know if you guys remember that, but when he Draymond fouled him and he hurt his wrist and he was doing wrist inflections at the line, I was terrified. I was like, oh, God. He's going to miss both of them. But luckily, he was able to make one. And when Maurice Spates shot that and the shot was long, I ran around my house. It was, a, it, was a, it was a kind of a large, it was a small house, but it was a large living space. And I just ran around that in circles for like 10 minutes. And even though, again, bragging at school was really important, <laughs> I couldn't do it because we were out then. But that was one of the happiest moments I've been in as a sports fan. And I experienced my dad picking me up and twirling me in a circle as the Seahawks won the Super Bowl. And I, I wanted to give you guys those two moments because to me, it, it sounds weird to people that don't understand. But to sports fans, sometimes, especially when you're young, you cling on to players that you love. And whenever you go through hard times and whenever, you know, you're sitting in your bed and you're 13 years old and you're thinking about normal 13-year-old bullshit, 
and all this, you can look at a poster of your favorite player and be like, everything's okay. And you can use them almost like a sanctuary. So I would like to thank, I know he's not listening, but this was just inspired by his efforts against the Clippers on Wednesday. Um, and I felt that it was important because he's nine points away from 40,000. I wanted to thank LeBron for helping me through, um, you know, kind of giving me a parasocial relationship that I never had before that. Um, you know, giving inspiration to kids like me who in middle school and in the beginning of high school, I didn't have any direction. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And you helped me through that. Even though you don't know you did, you did. And so, you know, despite anyone's opinions on LeBron, and I know it sounds like I just did 28 minutes and 22 seconds of glazing, but I don't give a f Because at the end of the day, despite your opinions on LeBron in terms of how he plays the game, you know, his comments on social justice issues, statements about China, or maybe you're one of those people that thinks he's pushing his son too hard. I might be one of those people. But despite all that, there's one thing about him that cannot be denied. Is that LeBron James is without a doubt the GOAT of our generation. And it's been a pleasure witnessing it. And hopefully we get to see more. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Thank y'all so much for listening to this episode of the Basketball IQ Podcast. And remember, kids, it's all about hoop.